Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Open wide for some soccer! The San Jose Earthquakes. John steps in. The soccer Johnson has a strike. Brought to you exclusively by your NorCal Honda dealers. Now here's your host, Ted Rady. acceleration into the box it's where and it's a goal for the united states it's stardust football from timothy Ware to open the accounts 11 minutes gone and the huge goal to set the tempo for the usa all right good morning everyone and welcome to the soccer hour on kmbr 1050 brought to you by your norcal honda dealers Wow, what a night in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Uh, You know, I think that for a lot of people who are overreacting about Mexico, and I think that one of the questions that was asked last night uh, to Tata Martino, the head coach of the Mexican national team, was why the Mexican team does not have the soul to win right now uh, to properly represent the Mexican tricolors on the pitch. Uh, You know, I don't know what his answer was to that, but I find the question a incredibly uh, just overreaching, but also be, I think what you're seeing right now is something that needs to be acknowledged and something that needs to be seen in the proper light. You have seen an increased awareness and an increased emphasis put on performance in North America, in the United States and in Canada, much more so than we ever saw in the past. In the past, soccer was the breadbasket of Mexico. And that was going to be right in their wheelhouse. And I totally understand that. Right now, you've got a couple of things going on. The United States and Mexico, or excuse me, the United States and Canada are fielding some of their most talented teams ever, if not their most talented teams ever. And that cannot be said of Mexico. Every team, every nation, every program goes through phases of being at their peak and not. And right now, I think we can say that Mexico is not at their peak, and there's an argument to be made for Canada or the United States being at their respective peak. So I think that's a big part of what is happening for the United States and for Canada right now is that they are fielding incredibly good teams. And I don't view this as exceptionally damning of Tata Martino or exceptionally damning of the Mexican program as a whole. But that said, I am not a Mexican citizen. I am only the type of person that roots for Mexico if the United States is not playing Mexico. Same way I root for Canada. I have a lot of friends who are from Mexico. I have a lot of friends who are from Canada. That's what happens when you grow up, A, in the Bay Area, and B, when you work in broadcasting and meet a lot of people from around the world and North America. When you know people that live places, you root for their nations when you're not rooting for your own. I know some people do not like that Landon Donovan form of fandom, but that's how I track. That's how I go about my business. But I think that that is the overall theme of what I am seeing. Now, 
United States and Jamaica last night. I thought that was going to be a letdown game for the United States after a very impressive victory over Mexico. I thought that it was going to be all the trappings of a game you lose. And frankly, I'm not too upset that the United States come away with a point out of that match. Jamaica is better than probably people give them Credit for A and B, the United States coming off of one of their biggest wins, three consecutive, first time in a calendar year since 1937 the United States or Mexico has posted three straight wins in that series. That's a lot to come back from for any team. So for the United States to have that performance um, in light of the win over Mexico, yeah, I don't take great umbrage with that in the slightest. And I thought it was what I expect. And for the United States to get points, be at the top of the table right now after that win over Mexico. You know, this is this is where you want to be. It's not that you have to win every single game. I know there's a lot of United States fans that want the U.S. to win every single game. I just need them in World Cup qualifying to take care of business, A, and B, come out with any huge injuries. You know, that's, that's, that's all I'm really looking for. And right now, I do feel like they are taking care of business and walking with it away without any huge injuries. I do think that going forward, you have to prioritize the health of Christian Pulisic going into the World Cup cycle, assuming the United States does qualify. But I do think that this is something that needs to be prioritized. But right now, it's taking care of business. And the United States, they're taking care of business. They're getting the wins they need to. They're getting the draws they need to. They are looking like the team that we expect them to be, especially in the big games against Mexico. Now, as they continue to establish their identity as a power in CONCACAF or the power, which right now they are looking like with three straight wins over Mexico, I would like them to win those games against Jamaica or whoever else they're going against to not get draws. But the greater view is the United States is taking care of business and doing what they need to do. Looking back at that game against Mexico, I was very, very impressed with what the United States brought to the field. And I thought that it was fantastic that it was Christian Pulisic after subbing on was able to have that game-winning goal, was able to strike, was able to immediately impact the game after subbing onto the pitch. You know, all the references to the man in the mirror and all the things like that with Ochoa. You know, I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I love that these narratives, not only are they narratives for the United States soccer fan, but these narratives are bleeding over into the mainstream. And when you get Christian Pulisic, who is the United States' best player, who is turning into the face of American soccer if he is not already, for him to be scoring those goals, for him to be associated with those moments, whether he is silencing the crowd or whether he's pulling the message out of his shirt, that's exactly what Christian Pulisic needs to be. He needs to be the impact player that immediately comes on and influences the game. But for the United States overall, they weathered the storm from Mexico. They were able to absorb what Mexico was bringing. And then when it mattered, they pulled away in the second half and were able to record the big time scores and were able to control the dynamic of the match after they went ahead. And I think that that's you know, that's the superior athleticism that the United States is putting out right there. And that's the superior product that the United States is putting out right now. In the past, the United States was grit and they were going to be guile and they were going to be physical and they were going to be the team that maybe wanted it a little bit more and maybe we were willing to go through a little bit more pain to go ahead and get those victories. The United States right now, I think that if they continue to personify that past willingness to take on the pain and the punishment of grinding out a win with the superior level of talent that they're putting out, a level of talent we've never seen before with the United States, that to me is going to be much more of a factor as they go forward and continue to try and turn themselves into not just a CONCACAF power, but into a power worldwide. I mean, that's that's what we want, right? I mean, we're not just here to be part of the party. 
we're not just here to get invited. The United States soccer as a whole wants to get themselves to a point where they are going to be one of the worldwide powers to where they've arrived, to where it's not a team that doesn't qualify for the World Cup or a team that's just happy to be there, but expects to be in the quarterfinals or the semifinals or however you want to view it, right? That's just what I think United States soccer, we all accept at this point. They want to be one of the dominant powers in the world, and it's going to take a while to get there. No doubt, I'm not trying to say that it won't, but that's what they want to be. That's what we want them to be. That's what the expectation is. It's an expectation that's been there as a goal, but now that that expectation is more and more becoming the reality, and we see these performances against Mexico, and we see them taking care of business overall, in the midst of the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying to where we start viewing the bigger picture. And listen, I don't want to get ahead of myself because obviously there is a lot left for the United States to do, but you say things are trending in the right direction. You look at the team, you look at the talent, you look at the opposition, and I don't know that they're ready to be a world power yet, but in the immediate, are they taking care of business against CONCACAF? And up to this point, the answer is yes. And you want to see it continue to trend in that direction. But overall, you're pleased, you're happy, the United States is taking care of business. And by the way, I have to correct myself and give all due credit to Canada. Canada is at the top of the CONCACAF qualifier standings. Uh, four wins, four draws. That is a very impressive 16 points for them. United States is in second. Four wins, three draws, one loss, followed by Mexico. Four wins, two draws, and two losses now. So... Very impressive form for Canada and for them to go in there and beat Mexico last night. Uh, the Estadio Azteca in the cold in Edmonton. What a cool scene that was. You know, building snowmen as celebrations, guys. You know, having fun in the snow. I, I love stuff like that. And you know what? That's, that's home field advantage. That's what it comes down to. And I thought it was an absolutely fantastic scene. And I think anybody who doesn't appreciate that. And listen, I, I remember... Who was it? Costa Rica in the 2014 qualifying rounds who were upset about the snow that they had to play in against the United States. That's what it comes down to. You know, the snow can be just as impactful and the cold can be just as impactful as it can be to play in hot or sweltering or humid conditions. It's all part of the fun of the World Cup qualifying. It's different everywhere. And that's, you know, you got it. You got to be able to take advantage and credit to Canada. They were. But the best part about all that is that last night I had people texting me not just about the United States and Jamaica, but also about Canada and Mexico, and that's that's what you want. I mean, that's how it is during Monday Night Football, right? All your friends are texting you about the 49ers or the Raiders, whoever it's going to be, or, you know, during a Sharks game or during the Warriors and the Nets. You know, last night there was a lot of stuff going on. But, you know, I, I when I get that, because we've watched the growth of soccer together, we've all seen where this has gone, I love what this all represents. It's not just that people are paying attention to the United States and Mexico. They're also paying attention to Canada and Mexico, and they're paying attention. I, had, I Honestly, I got more texts about Canada and Mexico than I did about the United States and Jamaica, because I think that was a little less of a, a great game for the United States. And Mexico's a huge draw. In Canada, there's a lot of stars on that team, whether it's Kyle Lahren, whether it's Alfonso Davies. People want to watch Canada. I think that's great. I think that's exactly what you want to see. And so this 
it continues to be a fun time for an American soccer fan, right? Like you, you get a kick out of what you see on any given day out there on the pitch, whether it's in Major League Soccer, whether it's in the EPL, whether it's in World Cup qualifying, whether it's in UEFA Champions League, wh- wherever it is, being an American and being part of the soccer community right now, it's A, growing, and B, it's a lot of fun. I think this is, you know, indicative of why such big money is being thrown around with TV contracts for soccer going forward because everybody know where the direction of growth is the sky's the limit and we're seeing it happen in front of us right now you know we're hearing two billion dollars as the number being bandied about a new overseas record viacom which is cbs and walt disney with espn are among those broadcasters that are trying to get the rights NBC is in their second round bids, which are going to be due on the 18th of November. So tomorrow, that'll be from 2022-23 until the 2027-28 seasons. That's huge. Huge, 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 huge. But again, it's indicative of the overall interest level, the overall growing fandom, the way that people pay attention to the United States men's national team, the way they pay attention to Major League Soccer, the way they pay attention to the EPL because of guys who have been in Major League Soccer, because of guys who have been a part of the United States national team or are a part of the national team and representing Chelsea. Same story with with all this. I mean, this, all of this is one hand feeding the other, and it's one of the things that you don't get from baseball or football or basketball is those you pay attention to Major League Baseball, you pay attention to the NBA, and you pay attention to the NFL. College football has similar in that you pay attention to multiple conferences around the college football landscape, but only, you know, in the soccer world is it normal to pay attention to multiple leagues where you have growth like this. And I mean, I get a little of it in hockey, I guess, because there are people who pay attention to the KHL. That is that is definitely part of the norm as well as paying attention to the Swedish league and paying to the attention to the AHL because that's where prospects are coming from. But, you know, soccer, it's not unusual. You're, you're tuning in for big La Liga matches, big EPL matches, big matches that are coming out of Mexico, UEFA Champions League. I mean, that's just, that's what you do. You pay attention to all these leagues as well as Serie A, League One. I mean, this is just the normal behavior for the American soccer fan and soccer fans worldwide. So to see big money being thrown around like this uh, doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And I think we're going to see even more of these big numbers being thrown around with every passing year, not just due to the fact that, you know, things get more expensive year over year, but I think more to the fact that the interest levels that are being shown throughout the soccer world are huge right now. And it's also timing out with what is going to be viewed at hopefully as a golden era of United States soccer. Right now we view it as the golden era based on potential, right? We see what these players with the Christian Pulisics, the Weston McKennies, all these guys, we see what they can become. If between now and the end of the 2026 World Cup cycle, this all turns into what we think it can turn into, then the sky's the limit. And then you're seeing what, you know, I've long predicted over a, over a long period of time where that soccer will be up there with the NBA in terms of the number two sport in America. The NFL isn't being dethroned anytime soon, but in terms of cultural relevance, right now, soccer has a lot more in common with the NBA in terms of, popularity in terms of fans in terms of the way that people react to players than baseball does and you know I could go on a long tangent of how baseball doesn't properly market their stars but you know that's that's something that we're seeing soccer doing pretty well people know what Christian Pulisic looks like people know what Megan Rapinoe looks like they don't know what Mike Trout looks like All right, we now have joining us on the Soccer Hour on KMBR 1050, brought to you by your NorCal Honda dealers, my favorite soccer writer, but I am a bit biased. It is the one and only Kyle Bonagura of ESPN. 
KB, what's going on, man? It is a Wednesday morning after a wild Tuesday night in CONCACAF qualifying for the World Cup. Uh, did you uh, did you scrape some snow out of your freezer to try and uh, mime what you saw the Canadians do last night? Yeah, no, I had some maple syrup this morning and uh, started watching Raptors highlights after. Just really in the Canadian spirit after watching, after watching that <laughs> game last night. Dude, no, I, no, seriously, though, very, very impressive performance from Canada, obviously in a, in a rough, rough window here for Mexico. Dude, I don't know if you saw one of the postgame questions and something may have been lost in translation, but somebody asked Tata Martino, why does this current Mexican team not have the soul to represent the tricolors on the pitch? And I was just thinking, <laughs> whoa, that is, I mean, that's a bomb of a question. I just... Imagine Tata Martino just like blinking twice and being like, seriously? <laughs> it's just like, it reminds me of college football in the SEC. It just, it just means more. Like that is some <laughs> heavy stuff to start uh, in, interjecting someone's soul as a part of the national team. I mean, it's not that serious, man, but I, I guess you got to respect the, uh, the dedication to their, uh, to their squad. What does it tell us, though, that it's not just – the United States having quote unquote a golden era. It's also Canada at the same time, you know, with Kyle Lahren and, you know, you look at what, you know, Alfonso Davey does on any given day. I mean, there's, there's talent that Canada's never had before. And there is talent that the United States has never had before. And, you know, we're seeing the resource allocation into soccer in the United States and Canada that we previously associated with Mexico, primarily in CONCACAF. It's taken a while, but I feel like we're seeing the outcome of that, you know, infrastructure being invested in. Yeah, no, I think that's right. You know, Canada, like the United States, has benefited from Major League Soccer, right? And the academies that have been popping up, you know, obviously Alfonso Davies is a product of the of the Whitecaps uh, Academy in Vancouver. And, um, you know, Kyle Lahren was an MLS player. I believe he came through the college system in the United States. And um, Tejan Buchanan, you know, played at Syracuse and then was an MLS draft pick. So they're really, it's a little bit different on how the United States has, has kind of gotten here um, from a talent standpoint. But, you know, certainly they're, they're making use of, they've, uh, you know, they've got some guys who've been developed overseas and some guys who've been developed domestically. Mark Anthony Kay went through USL mm -hmm. to LAFC to Colorado Rapids and is a, one of the one of the better midfielders in in MLS. So they've really done a good job utilizing these the, the kind of the influx of domestic investment both in the United States and Canada. Both both countries have, are certainly seeing the benefit, and you're you're seeing that gap close between um, Mexico and its uh, to the the two northern North American countries. Is this a long-term trend or is it a short-term thing that's also coinciding with Mexico maybe being a little bit in a downward cycle? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think certainly the United States, this is, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm against the, the golden generation term because I do think this is, they, this can be replicated moving forward. I think yeah. that the, now that the infrastructure is in place with, with academies all across the country, not just in MLS, but in USL as well, there's just a lot more, you're going to have a lot more chances to develop good players because you just have a lot more high quality systems in place. Mm -hmm. You know, Canada is is a little bit more top heavy than the United States. They're certainly not as deep. And, you know, when you have a guy like Davies, you know, you, you can't expect to develop, you know, arguably the best player in his position in the world very often if you're Canada, just <laughs> from a population standpoint, right? Like the odds are are not in your favor. But, you know, they do have several, you know, talented attacking players that have come good here over the last few years. And you know, like the United States, Canada is very young, right? And so we're going to see this team, you know, be good for the next decade. And, you know, you know, I would, I would expect that, you know, they're not going to dip back to where they were bef before. 
Um, but, you know, are, are they going to continue to develop players at this level? Um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly find out here <laughs> over the next 10 years. Yeah, I mean, a guy like Alfonso Davies for the world is a generational talent. The fact right. that he's on Canada makes you and I much more aware of it maybe than we otherwise would have been. And then it also does that much more for the Canadian national team. I mean, I, I think most people can accept that he's the best player in CONCACAF right now. I mean, yeah. what he does week in, week out for Bayern is incredible. He plays a little bit more further up the up the field for, for Canada just because that's where they need him. But as a left back, he's as good as uh, as good as there is in the world. And you know, for Canada as a winger and a wing back, he's, uh, he's the most dangerous player in the region. He's so fun to watch. I, uh, you know, that's, that's the thing is that both Canada and the United States right now are a lot of fun to watch. And with the United States in that win over Mexico three in a row for the first time in a calendar year since I believe 1937, uh, which is, uh, you know, I've never met your dad, but that's before my dad was <laughs> born. So I assume it's before your dad was born. But I mean, it's, it is wild to try and look at the worldview of what that type of history in between that accomplishment has done and just looking at that win against Mexico for the United States to, for me, it was absorbing Mexico, handling the threat and then Christian Pulisic subs on and the fact that he's the guy scoring the go, go ahead and game winning goal in a scoreless game at that affair. Uh, I mean, to me, it just speaks volumes. Yeah, it really is kind of a, a plan comes together, right? Yeah. This is a team that was, out, you know, without three starters. If you, Gio Reyna, Serginho Dest, and Christian Pulisic were, were all not in the starting lineup. And you know, John Brooks has surprisingly um, uh, regressed over this qualifying cycle. So the fact that, you know, at the start of qualifying, if you said those four players wouldn't start and you would still dominate Mexico, yeah, I'm not sure how many believers you would have had, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they... The, the, the team is younger than Mexico. It's more athletic. It has more stamina. And they really, you know, press the game from the, the opening moments. And I thought the United States was the better team for the first 10 minutes or so. Mexico, I thought, had a nice spell for the next 15, 20 minutes mm -hmm. where it looked like they, they were the better team. Um, but after that, you know, maybe the last 5, 10 minutes of the first half and certainly the entire second half, the United States was just on another level than Mexico. This was a complete domination. They created all the good scoring chances. They dominated possession. They were winning second balls. Uh, they were, uh, you know, they, they were tight in possession, good combination play. They just ran Mexico rag. And I think, you know, Brendan Aronson did a good job um, running at guys and, and, and wearing them down in the press. And maybe he wasn't as effective as, as, as we've seen him in past windows, but certainly um, softened up the, the back line. And when Pulisic went in, he made an instant impact. Tim Weah had his, had his mm -hmm. best game in a United States shirt. I mean, the, the space he created to send that cross in was, was really special. We saw him have a nice moment with the goal against Mexico or the goal against Jamaica as well. So, you know, it's, it's, the, this is what people who've watched the, the national team for the last couple of years have wanted to see. This is kind of the, this is the goal that they were hoping to get. Speaking of course, of the Mexico game, not, not Jamaica. Right. And so to have that performance against Mexico on that stage was as good a moment as United States soccer has had for a long time. Because if you look at those two games against Mexico over the summer, of course, the, the nation's league game in Denver, and then, um, and then the gold cup final as well, you know, the U S won both of those games, but both went to extra time. Mm -hmm. I thought on balance, Mexico had the, the majority of the good chances in both of those games. 
Um, obviously, you're excited as a United States fan that they won both of those, but it wasn't necessarily like you came out of that thinking, oh, yeah, next time the United States will have no problem with Mexico. You're probably thinking, okay, yeah, that's that's a fortunate W, a good W. Um, but coming out of this one, because the United States just controlled the game, it really felt like a tipping point in this rivalry that now you can say, okay, the United States is the better team. Like no one could have watched that game and come away with another conclusion. And if you, even if you looked at the, a lot of the Mexican media headlines in the, in the wake of that, it was, they were very complimentary to the United States um, indicating exactly what I just laid out that right now the United States is the better team. I mean, the thing that was so striking to me, and I don't know when the last time I saw something like this was that when Pulisic scored, Mexico broke. I mean, that, that was a, you could see the, the writing on the wall for them at that point. They were not as engaged. They were not as um, dynamic. I mean, that you rarely see that happen in this rivalry. Yeah, no, there's it's 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 a confidence thing in this rivalry. Right? I mean, if you look at some of these friendlies they've had over the past couple of years and the, the Gold Cup in 2019, Mexico was, you know, when the United States tried to press or play through Mexico's press in 2019 at the Gold Cup, it was like <laughs> they were it was little brother, big brother. It was varsity, junior varsity type stuff. Right. Mexico just was on a different level and just was very calm and and, and unrushed and just it didn't really feel like it had to expend that much energy to play through the United States. But in this one, the United States was forcing errors and it really felt like, okay, this is, this is a, a, a turning point here in, in this series in this rivalry. Um, and it's, it, it kind of feels like Mexico needs, needs a kind of an influx of, of younger, of younger players and the attack. They still are super talented, but I thought really where the game you know, stood out for me was, was in the midfield with, with Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa and, and West McKinney, the Mexican midfield just couldn't handle that trio. And it had a trickle down effect where the United States attackers, I thought were, um, you know, really causing havoc on the outside backs were the, their play for Mexico was, was very poor, but I really thought it started in the midfield and that, that, you know, had a, you know, the, the, the chain reaction of, of being able to create dangerous chances in the final third was, was pretty evident. I fear for three years from now when Diego Lainez is 24 years old and playing for Mexico because he's one of those guys who, as he gets older and more physical, he's going to be <laughs> he's going to be quite quite a problem. Are you? Is, I don't know. Are you familiar with his game too much? I don't know how much you. Yeah, no. He, he's been very good against the United States, right? And he hasn't yeah. that that hasn't translated to his club play, right? There's the the kind of an ongoing joke on on the internet about how he hasn't scored in like over a thousand days or something like that. So like certainly you can see the talent. Um, for Mexico when he's played there, it just hasn't translated in Spain mm-hmm. at Real Betis. Um, so I, I, it's only a matter of time before he kind of gets it together and is a, an impactful player at the club level. I think, you know, I, I really thought Mexico could have used, uh, you know, Julian Araujo, the, the mm-hmm. Los Angeles Galaxy right back, who is going to switch from the United States to Mexico already has made his um, one-time FIFA switch. I mean, I thought he's been so good for the Galaxy this year. Um, certainly felt like it would be an upgrade versus what we saw um, on Friday night. What did you think of Greg Berhalter's handling of the the mirror question and, you know, that they have to go out there and earn the respect of Mexico? Was that, I mean, he did an interesting thing of deflecting the conversation fully away from the United States men's national team performance to the perceptions of U.S. versus Mexico and the 30,000-foot view, nothing to do with the game in and of itself. I that had to be his intent, right? And and I think he executed that fairly well. I mean, I was in those press conferences, and you know, he 
you know, I think he was very respectful to Mexico and acknowledged that, you know, he said all the right things, the stuff that won't generate headlines. Like uh, the man in the mirror comment, when Ochoa said it, it didn't really get that much play. Like he got some play within the very small, uh, you know, rabid USMNT circle and a, a little bit in Mexico. And, you know, it's, but, but, but it didn't kind of extend past kind of any other normal quote ahead of a rivalry, right? It really didn't take a life of its own, take on a life of its own until Pulisic um, uh, revealed the revealed <laughs> the shirt after scoring the goal. And now you have this 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 moment of this video, the the still frame, and that's when it really took a life of its own on because Pulisic doesn't really engage in that stuff very often, right? So for it to be him in that moment on that stage, um, revealing that hey, like we were paying attention and maybe we 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 uh, didn't appreciate the sentiment there, um, I, I thought really spoke to kind of where this team was at behind the scenes, you know, Pulisic even tried to downplay it a little bit in the post-game press conference <laughs> as well. But at the same time, man, he already revealed the shirt and then he posted it on, uh, on his Instagram as well. So it's clear that those guys were that, you know, we're going to enjoy that moment. And listen, like there's nothing personal there. Right. I, I think that type of celebration in a rivalry is what it's about. Man. Yeah. You, you talk a little crap, you enjoy it, you rub it in your rival's face and you move on. And there wasn't anything beyond that, 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 you know, was out of line or anything. I think Mexico had to kind of just wear that, especially after Ochoa made the comment that really set it up. What about the fact that Pulisic also did the, you know, the finger to the mouth, the shushing thing over the summer? Cause that's, that's twice now, you know, he's, he's being very much more uh, just kind of in front for the U S than he ever was before. And maybe that just comes with winning and performing. <laughs> I mean, I think that comes with scoring a go-ahead or winning goal against Mexico for a trophy or in or in qualifying, right? You don't see the 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 bombastic celebrations from Pulisic on you know just ordinary goals, right? But mm -hmm. those are two big goals. I mean, the, yeah. the the atmosphere in Denver was very pro Mexico, right? I you know, I wasn't there, but I heard it was maybe 80, 20, 90, 10 in favor of Mexico. So for him to to score that penalty in, in a packed house, really really a good soccer environment that night in June, um, you know. It, it made sense for when the you're kind of in a in a hostile environment um, from a fan standpoint to, to sh give them the shush. It feels like a pretty natural way to celebrate that big goal. Now, the game against Jamaica, I was expecting a letdown and kind of saw exactly what I expected. I thought the United States could have easily lost that game. Were you surprised by that performance or are you just saying like, hey, they got a tie. They you know, they're taking care of business at this point. Yeah, no, I think I, I I was I was surprised because I really felt like against Mexico everything just clicked, right? And it felt like okay, like this again they can replicate this and 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 if feed off the energy that they got from this big win. But you know, you're right though. It was it was certainly a letdown in hindsight. You know, it's it it, it maybe should have been I, I maybe should have seen it coming considering you know it's. It's tough, right? And we talk we talk a lot about how tough it is to win in Concacaf on the road, and that's all those things are true. History says it's true, mm -hmm. um, but but I think it's more of listen. There's you know it's a limited crowd. There was five thousand people in the stands. There's you know you got the track, and it's it's a, it's it's humid. The field's not great. Like all of those things weigh on a team and weigh on players, and it makes it. I, I think it's true that it it does sap up some of your energy, right? And yeah, there's some travel and those are all, you know, excuses that maybe on their own don't seem like a big deal, but you know, we've seen it time and time again where it is a big deal. And I thought the, the U S looked good for the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes in a way I had a great goal to go up one zero, get the early lead. 
But as soon as Antonio bagged the equalizer in the 22nd on, you know, what a shot that was in the 22nd, the game completely slowed down. And it felt like the United States wasn't able to find that, that energy that they were playing with early in the game. And from that point forward, neither team really challenged much. I mean, there was the, the, the goal, of course, at the end where, um, where Jamaica headed in a corner kick. And for me, there was no, there was no foul there that should have been given as a goal and Jamaica should have won that game two one. I'm not sure what the referee saw there. It's, um, it's certainly a case where, you know, VAR should have VAR would have probably changed that. And, and Jamaica would have won the first time around. There was a couple red card shouts in the Jamaica U S game that, that would have benefited the United States. And so it shows that like, listen, the region has to get it together. And there, I know there was a report yesterday that, the rest of World Cup qualifying will include mm-hmm. VAR. Um, and I don't know if CONCACAF has, has officially announced that yet, but I think that's, that's got to happen because these are big moments that are changing the trajectory of, of, of World Cup qualifying, and you, you can't have that in, in 2021. So Also, this, Taylor Twellman might explode. Yeah, I mean, we all might explode. I know I've written about it a few times. Like, it just doesn't make any sense right now. I mean, the United States in MLS was the first, MLS was the first league to debut VAR, I believe, in 2017. Maybe it was 2018. Either way, um, it's the, you know, it's a member nation in CONCACAF. You know, Canada's obviously got it. Mexico has it. The fact that the the federation wasn't willing to invest in the infrastructure to allow for it to be used in qualifying is just kind of a, it's kind of embarrassing that mm-hmm. the that the federation wasn't willing to make that same investment to to take this um, to take this qualifying tournament um, to the level uh, that should be expected, right? I mean, the stakes are as high as they possibly could be. This is such a unique round of qualifying cycle of qualifying because in in 2026 there's Mexico, the United States, and and Canada will be hosting, so it yeah. can dramatically changes the qualification process for the region. And then in 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 2030 the the field will be expanded, right? And again, it it changes how qualification will will go, especially for the top tier teams, right? The United States and Mexico probably won't have to sweat um, qualifying as as much as they have in the past. Um, it, you know, of course, the, it gives more opportunities and um, for, for teams a little bit lower and it, it'll matter for, for them. But you got to ha- you got to have that sort of technology, because even even in 2018, man, there was there was there was some 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 big no calls that changed the way um, changed who went to the World Cup. And if you have a solution to get it right, you should absolutely take advantage of it. The one thing that I am looking at is, like I pointed out, Jamaica was a bit of a letdown game. The United States opened up this World Cup qualifying cycle with disappointing performances, and then they come out with a huge performance against Honduras, and everybody quieted down. And then there were some, you know, some questions, and they kind of go from maybe being a little lackluster to coming up with a big performance. You know, how dangerous is it to either play to your competition's level A or B, be great in those get-up games, but not where you need to be game in, game out? Yeah, I mean, I think the the old axiom, right, is is win at home, draw on the road, and for the most part, they've done that, right? They've got, you know, that that would be a two point average. They're sitting here on fifteen points through eight games, so they're just shy of the two point mark. Um, so they improved their points per game this this window and in, in, in the two game window, right, with with Mexico and Jamaica. So I think you're you're from a qualification standpoint, you're probably pretty happy with that, um, as yeah. long as you're winning your games at home. But you know, there's there's a few ways to look at that, right? It's it's one is just just qualifying if that's your only goal, which is a fair stance, right? After missing the World Cup in 2018, qualification is without question the most important thing. But then there's also like playing well in 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 qualification and exceeding expectations and 
playing at a level to excite the fan base, excite the country, and perhaps, you know, gear up for success in the World Cup, getting out of the group, advancing in the group. With the type of talent this United States team has, you can certainly allow for the possibility that they can not only get out of the group, but maybe win a round of 16 game, you know, that, that happened in 02. This team is much more talented than that squad. Mm-hmm. They, they have much more, they, they match up much more favorably with the rest of the world than they had at any point in, in history. And, and listen, they've got another, they've got another year to develop, right. To, to, to get on a level where they can kind of make a, make a run in Qatar. And so that's really where the, the conversation is. They're, they're still in a great spot to qualify for the world cup, but are they, you know, when you have, if, if you're not able to put away a team like Jamaica, granted it's on the road and the conditions are what they are that we've already discussed, like, you know, you know, playing a neutral site game against, you know, uh, you know a European power or mm-hmm. South American power, um, you know, it's in Qatar where it's hot and the, and the conditions are, are not ideal either. Like you're going to have to dig deep and, and win difficult games. Right. And so if you can't do it against Jamaica, um, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence that you're going to be able to do it when the stage is even bigger. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel though that everything with the United States, and obviously some of these questions of just playing devil's advocate, but I mean, it feels like things continue to trend in the right direction that the United States is taking care of business. They're winning the big games. And that is, I mean, we, we, as you know, broadcasters, fans, journalists, however you want to quantify or qualify it. It's like, there is, there's been a huge distance between expectation and reality, you know, with a peak of which was 2018 and the failure to qualify versus right now. It's like, I feel like people are still ahead of themselves and thinking that the U S are on the cusp, but it's like, well, let, you know, hold up. There, there's still work to be done. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's, that's tough, right? Because it's, it's easy to look at these players individually and say, yeah, look, this team's got a, this team should be very good. And, and I, and I think that's true. I mean, I think expectations should be higher. Mm-hmm. I don't care that they missed in 2018 because it was a completely different team, right? Correct. Christian Pulisic and John Brooks um, were a part of that group. Kellen Acosta, and there may be, you know, Christian Roldan, but Roldan doesn't play a major role here. And Acosta is kind of a, a, a bit player at this point. Brooks wasn't even on the team, right? So it's <laughs> a completely different team. It's a much more talented team. And that was always going to take time to get those guys on the same page, right? Because they, it's unlike, you know, Costa Rica is a good example of guys who played together for a long time and they played, you know, they were exceeded the sum of their parts, right? And they made that quarterfinal run, you know, back in 2014, I believe, right? The United States is so young that yesterday's game or the game against Jamaica was the second youngest qualifying roster that they've ever fielded. The mm-hmm. game against Costa Rica where they played really well was the youngest qualifying roster that they've ever fielded. Less the, the the teams that they fielded through this last window against Jamaica and Mexico, that was an Olympic eligible team. If you include the three overage players, like that team could have been playing in the Olympics. That's how young it is, which is a U23 tournament. And so there's a, a, a fine line about, you know, look where these players are playing. Look how talented they are. Look at the heights. Look at the Mexico second half to see how good they can play. And then there's also going to be the learning experiences of going to Jamaica, of going to Panama, of going to El Salvador, where conditions are tougher. And it's, you know, it's it's not what you're used to. And it's you're you're playing with guys that you don't haven't been playing with for that long, right? I think that's that's important to keep in mind is that you know a lot of these guys have played together at the youth level, but as a team, you know, this like I I, I don't believe any either of the starting 11s, and I could be wrong here, had ever played ever started together before. You know, Chris Richards is in the starting lineup um, for just the second time ever mm-hmm. against Jamaica. He played well, though, right? Walker Zimmerman has, has only recently broken through and become 
an important player for this team. He's had, you know, he's, you know, he's been in January camps, he's been in gold cups, but hasn't really seen extended run with a first choice 11, right? We haven't seen the midfield, the, the midfield of Musa Adams and McKenney. You know, I think they've played together four times, started together four times and there's four wins. It's three or four, whatever the number is like they're undefeated when that midfield trio starts together and they're only going to get better as time goes on, right? That's such an important uh, area of the field to have familiarity with each other and to understand the movement and the runs and all of those things. And that's only going to come with time. Like talent can only take you so far. While I've still got you for one last question, just your reactions overall to Chris Leach being named the general manager of the earthquakes. Yeah. I mean, he felt like it was, uh, you know, as the search went on, it felt like that was going to be, he was going to be the guy, right? I mean, it's, he's been around the club for a long time and is familiar with ownership and is, um, it's certainly been around the league for a long time. I know there was was interest in him other places in MLS, and I think that certainly validated the decision for for the Quakes to to turn it over to him. And of course, the Quakes' recent track record isn't really that great either. So it's maybe okay. Like, is he going to bring in some wholesale changes, or going to you know continue the path that the that he's been a part of? It'll be a really interesting offseason to see how the how the team has a chance to rebuild with, especially with Wando retiring and kind of it, it kind of symbolizes the the start of a, a new era in a way, right? And I know he'll be around the club in a, in a scouting um, in assistant um, to to Leach's you know capacity, so that should that should be good. So I'll, I'll be curious to see how they kind of revamp the roster heading into 2022. Mr. Bonagura, you are the man as always. I appreciate your time and thank you for being generous with it as usual. And I will bug you soon, all right? All right. Thanks, Ted. Always fun having Kyle Bonagura on joining us here on the Soccer Hour on KMBR 1050. Of course, uh, we'll have a lot more to get into next week. We're going to talk more about the San Jose Earthquakes offseason plans. I'm still trying to wrangle Anthony Passarelli and Joe Cannon to get a little bit of a roundtable with them in the same way that I was able to get one uh, with both uh, Danielle Slayton and Chris Dangerfield. If you saw the news, Chofis is one of the finalists for MLS Newcomer of the Year. I would imagine it's probably going to go to somebody like Gold with uh, Vancouver just because he ended up being a big part of their surge and getting them into the playoffs. But you like having a guy like Chofis as part of the conversation because it keeps the earthquakes as part of the conversation. The conversation, I think, is going to be bigger and bigger and bigger as we get deeper into this offseason, one of the biggest offseasons in the history of the San Jose Earthquakes as we move into the Chris Leach era at the helm. He and Almeida taking things forward, I think, is very, very exciting. And we'll just have to see what happens next with this team. But again, very, very fun right now. Uh, to look ahead at what could be for the San Jose Earthquakes. And when we do have a better idea, um, we will talk to Bonagura more about this. We'll get Jeff Carlisle. We'll get uh, Ivis Galarsep. We'll get all the big names to talk about what the Earthquakes are doing in this offseason. Of course, we'll continue to cover the United States uh, men's national team, the United States women's national team, uh, and more. And hopefully we're going to have uh, a little bit of coverage of the NWSL championship game coming up this weekend when we talk next Sunday as well. Still working on that with with some of my friends from Just Women's Sports who will be covering it from the ground in Louisville. They will have live coverage, I believe, uh, the morning of that broadcast. That wraps up for this edition of the Soccer Hour, brought to you by your NorCal Honda dealers. For the San Jose Earthquakes, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off. This has been the Soccer Hour with Ted Ramey, presented by the San Jose Earthquakes and your local NorCal Honda dealers on KNBR 1050, the sports leader. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? Reality remains reality no matter how hard you try to ignore it. 
The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Again, I'm all here for the pop culture, people dating each other for the press. Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. Every so often, and by every so often, I mean literally every 27 seconds when the producer gets fired. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. 